Uh, I don't know why Alan's not here. But I think I might know where he is. I'll be right back. Hey, Marsh. Hey, man. Um, you, can I get a Can I get an autograph real quick? Dude, sure. Um, sure. Who do I make it out to? Uh, my my mom. Uh, okay. Her name's uh, Dave. It's a family thing. Okay, that's cool. Oh man, I've been trying to ask you for such a long time. Thank you so much. Hey, okay. man. It's not a problem. Hey, man. I gotta. Hey, all right. Bang. Hey, hey. You, you do your thing, man. All right. Oh my gosh. That's not weird. Alan, Alan, uh, I totally just finished the music set, man. You are on. Are you in there? We we have a problem, Marsh. What's going on? I I tried on my Halloween costume and I can't get it off. I don't get it. No, I'm serious. I'm I can't get out of my Halloween costume. Dude, come on. You've got to go now. I look ridiculous. Now. You're fine. Let's go. Come on, dude. Come on. Come on, dude. Oh, man. It's, it's hard to walk. Come on, man. Come on. Let's go, let's go. Come on. Come on, dude. You can make it. You can make it. I got a feeling. Tonight's gonna be a good night That tonight's gonna be a good night That tonight's gonna be a good, good night I feel it Okay, that was a little early there, Justin. Good morning, Mountain Park. Guess what we're talking about this morning. We are talking about the armor of God. And since it was Halloween today, I thought I would make myself look a little bit ridiculous uh, here uh, this morning and go ahead and give you a little visual picture for what we're talking about this morning. Now, the only problem with this is that it's really hard to get on and off. So I can't take it off after I've made my little point here in the first three minutes. So the odd and uh, perhaps awkward thing about this morning is that I'm going to have to wear this for the entire 30 minutes. Okay, so you're ready for that. We'll see if that was a good decision or not. I thought about asking Marsh to come and be a visual representation, and then we could call him Oh Holy Night, uh, the, the singer, uh, uh, but he, that wasn't going to work. And then I, uh, I thought about asking Kit, who is our uh, children's pastor, and uh, then we could call him Knight Rider. Uh, okay, uh, so, but they were apparently busy, and so I'm the one who gets to wield the sword, so to speak. And so, uh, speaking of which, let me start with 
the sword, and uh, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, where t- Paul talks about the armor of God. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to read this with me. Ephesians chapter 6, if you're brand new, please don't be too terrified uh, uh, so far here this morning. But I am going to ask you as we read this section, if you would stand in reverence to the Word of God. Let's stand together as I read Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to begin in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. For all the saints, let us pray together. God, I am thankful that we can have fun when we get together. And God, I pray that in the next few moments while we look into these amazing words of Paul, that we would break through the, um, the cliches, the Christian cliches of battle and armor and, and all that, that, that any in this room who may have resistance to all that stuff because of a past, that that would be uh, set aside that we would hear freshly from you this morning. In what way do you, in the midst of our fun, in what way, God, do you want to speak to us about a very, very serious matter? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat, please. Okay, well, first of all, let me tell you why we are now talking about the armor of God at this point in the journey. If you are new, this is so weird to walk around uh, with this. If, if you are new, uh, we have been here in 2010 for the whole year, we have been looking at what we're calling the whole shebang. It's the grand overall epic story of God. And what we've been uh, looking at over the last six weeks is the unwritten story. We're at a point in the overall story where we're looking at how our story fits into God's overall grand epic whole shebang story. That we have an unwritten story that God's using our past and our present to set us up for plans into our future. That He has a purpose. He has something meaningful set up for us. And here as we enter into the seventh and final week of this series... What we're looking at is the reality that this journey of making wise decisions with regard to the rest of our episodes, it's not going to be easy. It is not an easy journey because there is resistance. Jesus was kind enough and forthright enough to be honest with His disciples about this. And He told them, it's not going to be easy. He told them straight up. He said, I want you to go and start a a revolution of love. I want you to change the world. That's what we talked about when we looked at the New Testament. That's what Jesus inspired the disciples to do. But He said, you will go out as sheep among wolves. And when you go out, you need to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Sometimes when we talk about or invite people into Christian faith or whatever, sometimes we we reference it as as a very comfortable, safe, 
experience. But I don't think that's fair. I think that's a mockery of the reality of the Christian journey. Uh, another point, Christ says that, he, he's, again, He's forthright and He says, there will be trials, there will be sorrows as you move forward in your journey. And so, uh, he's, he's honest saying, this is what's ahead of you. That's why Paul writes this here in Ephesians 6. Paul, Paul is basically making the point, he's saying, as you engage, as you move forward, go into the future episodes, just remember, we are at war. We are at war. Let me jump back here. Verse 11 here in chapter 6. says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There's an, there's an enemy. The devil, the third character in our whole shebang story. The one who wants to sabotage your relationship with God. He so intently wants to do that. We are at war. Again, where do you stand with that? Do you believe that? Is it just kind of goofy, plasticky weirdness? Uh, my wife uh, helps out with kids stuff, and, and in her group of six fourth grade boys a couple weeks ago, uh, there, this topic came up, and so uh, my wife asked this group of six, said, do you believe that the devil is real, or do you see the devil as a character like any other character that kids would dress up on Halloween, like Dracula or Frankenstein or whatever. Five out of the six kids said, he's just a character. It's not real. The devil's not real. In in our home, um, we talk about about the enemy a fair amount. And our our kids, at this point in their their journey, I mean, they get to decide what, what, you know, what to believe as, as things move on. But at this part in their journey, under the influence of mom and dad, they, they believe there is an enemy. And uh, there are times where it actually uh, is a little bit odd. Um, whenever our five-year-old uh, uh, witnesses a, uh, something that dad deals with on, on her two older brothers as they're fighting with one another, uh, she brings the devil into that. So, so if, the bro- if the brothers are fighting into that with one another, and then I say, you are not supposed to hit one another, the five-year-old just always likes to jump in and say, I know someone that we can hit, the devil. And so she'll, you know, she'll say this all the time. She says, I know someone we can poke in the face with a pencil. The devil. I know someone we can throw pumpkin goop at. The devil. And so it's as cute as it is uh, creepy a little bit. But, but she, I believe it's important to, to, uh, to spend some time wrestling with the reality of is there a war? Is there an enemy? Paul continues. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I've said this before earlier in the journey that that your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your boss. And winning arguments with people that we are to do life with, winning arguments and walking away going, yes, I crushed them and I'm victorious, that's an overall loss. Our enemy is against the the spiritual forces of this dark world. When we uh, choose in, in the rest of our days 
and the rest of our unwritten journey, when we choose to follow the path that God has for us, there will be resistance. It's not going to be easy. But the, the, the enemy in that journey is not sometimes the person that we're spending, that we're touching, the person that we're spending life with um, so often. Now, the way I see it, there are two paths uh, in life. One path is the way of the world. And this is, this is so, there's two paths, way of the world. And the way of the first path is the easy path. The way of the world is the easy path. That's the one where you get in the boat and you just kind of sit back and let the current take you where it wants to go. You kind of sit back and you just kind of, okay, how is this all going to work? How am I supposed to look? How am I supposed to act? I'm going to let the current take me in that direction. This is where we get caught up in the keep up with the Joneses piece. Where we say, well, the, the world is telling me this is what I'm supposed to have, so this is what I'm going to do. And so the way of the world is to follow the current to say this is the house I'm supposed to live in whether I can afford it or not. This is the kind of car I'm supposed to drive. This is the kind of body I'm supposed to have whether it's the one God gave me by birth or not. That is the path of least resistance. The way of the world is to just go with the flow. The second path is the way of the kingdom. And what happens is is when we make efforts to say, I want to move from path number one, the way of the world, to path number two, the way of the kingdom. What happens when we do that, that's when the enemy jumps in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Go back in the boat. Because you don't want to make this. Because the enemy doesn't care when we just flow with the the way of the world with path number one. The enemy doesn't care because we're no threat to him when we do that. But he steps in and he brings resistance to us. Life gets harder, I believe, when we say, I want to go to the way of the kingdom. Path number two. Now my guess is that for those of you who are followers of Christ, that there's kind of a back and forth journey. There. There's sometimes where we make decisions that are along here. Sometimes we make decisions that are along here. Maybe there's a back and forth piece based on our uh, laziness or fatigue or our disconnection with other people or our disconnection with God. There may be times where we do this one way or the other. I think that the more time we spend in path number one, the harder it is for us to make the shift to path number two. We just, we just get comfortable there. We start to, to get used to the flow of the way of the world. That's why I think it is so essential for us to have an effective student ministry. That people who are young and in the early stages of making these decisions, instead of spending all this time in path number one, let's make decisions early to say, this is how I'm going to do life. I'm going to do life in path number two. That's why it's so unwise to say, I'm going to get serious about my spirituality later on in life. I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to do whatever over in my young years. And, and then when I get older on my deathbed, then, because of the power of the grace of God, then I can be in heaven forever. And I'm going to wait and do that. But that jump from path number one to path number two can be so hard. That's why I think it's so important when we start significant things to intentionally start them in path number two. When you start a dating relationship, when you start a marriage, when you start an experience as a parent, to say, we're going to do this in ways that honor God. 
We are going to do this in ways that honor God. We're going to start this off right. Many of you in the room know how hard it is once you go down path number one in one of these important journeys of life, how hard it is to move it back over to path number two to go the way of the kingdom. The way we move from path number one to path number two is by putting on the armor of God. So let's take a look at, at how Paul broke these down. Kind of one of, he's got six pieces that he talks about. I want to just take a look real briefly at the six elements, the six pieces of armor. Continuing in uh, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth, Buckled around your waist. The belt of truth, in other um, versions of the Bible, it's referred to as, as a girdle. I find that a little less masculine, so I, I prefer the belt uh, concept. But in, uh, in the original armor concept, the belt was the piece that everything hung on to. Now this, of course, is not authentic first century Roman armor. Some of you are troubled by that. Uh, this, of course, is medieval armor, and I chose uh, not to go the first century Roman armor route, uh, perhaps because of the girdle, uh, but there was also a, a skirt and bare legs, and I just don't do a skirt well. So uh, that's why I, when you think of it, you know, men wearing girdles and a skirt, I don't know how the Romans became the most powerful nation in the world, but that, that's uh, how, how it all uh, worked out. But but the, the belt of truth is the item upon which everything was, was attached. And if, if that uh, broke through, even though it's kind of, a, kind, of a, a, kind of an invisible piece, if that broke through, the whole thing would fall apart. And so it's the same with, with the, the truth in our lives with regard to our, our spiritual journey. Where is truth? for us. And if we're not sure where truth is, then as James 1 says, we get bounced around flopping like the waves of the sea based on what's happening around us. Where is the truth? The devil is a liar. And so what he does is he throws lies into our journey. And just like we talked about the wound piece and how he can throw a lie saying, this is who you are. You are this person. You can never be the person that you hope to be. You can never be the person that you believe God is calling you to be. Those lies, they're, they're chinks in the armor, if you will. And when we carry those with us, one little lie can do incredible damage with regard to the, the strength of, of our armor. Next, Paul talks about uh, halfway through uh, verse 14, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate here, it protects the heart. And it's referred to as the breastplate of righteousness because our heart is made right, is made right before God because of what Christ did, not because of what we did. It, 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 our heart, we get to have a new heart. We are a new creation. Our heart is good, not because of our strength, not because of what we were born with, but because of what Christ has done. And when we lose sight of that, when we slip from that, and we start to believe it was us, the whole armor, once again, gets weakened. The heart is so essential to this. Proverbs in the Old Testament, the writer says, Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life above all else. Guard your heart. 
Paul continues. Verse 15, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Feet fitted with readiness. Anyone who uh, plays or coaches a sport will know that in pretty much any sport, fighting sports, boxing, wrestling, basketball, football, baseball, that your feet have to keep on moving. You say, get in ready position, right? You don't want to have your feet planted in any sport. You want to be ready at any moment. You want to be in the ready position so that you can move. And it's the ability to move in our faith that is so essential. To be so rock solid and immovable, that can be damaging to us. Those of us who have been followers of Christ for quite some time, I would guess that there were parts of your spiritual journey that you were solid on at one point and where you have moved, where you think differently because of circumstances, because of your reading of Scripture or whatever. Faith moves. Faith, now, it's, I'm not talking about the essentials of faith, who Christ is and who God is and who the Holy Spirit is. I'm talking about some of the things that we may hold so tightly to that we are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to move us. Are you willing to be moved? Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The flaming arrows are the hot temptations that we experience in life, and so often they're connected to sexuality, this incredible drive that God has given us. Often they're connected to addictions. And the reality is that it doesn't matter how strong of a soldier you are, how strong, how skilled you are, you cannot resist a flaming arrow in and of yourself. I mean, the most skilled, strong soldier standing out there cannot resist a flaming arrow whoom, thrown right at the neck or whatever. That the purpose of the shield is to stop the arrows, stop those temptations before they even get to us. To think that we are strong enough to just kind of pull the arrow out and brave-hearted or whatever, that's just getting foolish. The shield says, I don't even want it to get to me. Next, talks about the helmet of salvation. Or sorry, the, yeah, helmet of salvation. That the helmet obviously protects the head. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love God with your mind. Protect your head. In other words, what do you believe? This is connected to the, to the belt of truth. What do you believe is the truth? Where do you stand on these, on these essential elements? Because if you're not sure what you believe, then when things don't feel right, when, when there's an experience where it doesn't quite feel right for you, then there's a tendency to, to move on to something else. Maybe there's a spiritual experience that you love, and oh, you just love the, the, the community and the experience that you're having with a bunch of other people, and oh, this is great, this is great. And then there's this one part of it, this one tiny part of it, that you go, whoa, whoa, that doesn't make any sense with me. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. That, that protecting our head says, in, even in the midst of path two being difficult, even in the midst of conflict, I am going to hang in there. And lastly is the sword. This is the coolest element. Uh, this is the only one that's real. Uh, the sword of the Spirit, Paul says, which is the Word of God. And this is the number one weapon of a follower of Christ. Jesus models this in, in the desert when he's tempted. He's tempted three times by the enemy. And all three times he responds firstly saying, it is written. 
All three times he says, it is written. In other words, here's what the Bible has to say about that. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And so, do you know what is written? I mean, you're probably not going to know all 2,000 pages and memorize it all. But in your area, in your area where it's those consistent arrows, flaming arrows that keep on coming at you, in, in your areas of weakness, do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what is written about those particular areas? I think it's wise for us to do that, for us to figure that out. Talk to people we trust. What, what does God say about this particular area? Paul starts this off. He says, put on the full armor of God. Now this morning, I, I, I took that literally, obviously. But there's, there's a beautiful metaphor here that when we put on the armor of God, what we are doing is reminding ourselves in a, in a, on a regular basis of the presence of Jesus in our lives for those of us who are followers of Christ. Putting on the full armor of God says, I am aware of the presence of Christ in my life because Christ is the truth. Christ is the righteousness. Christ is the one who resists the flaming arrows. Christ is our salvation. Christ is the Word of God. It says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And so, to put on the full armor of God metaphorically means, am I aware of the presence of Christ in my life? Am I aware of the presence of Christ in my life? Put on the full armor of God. I heard recently about a, a mom who makes her kids uh, look at an image uh, by their rooms, look at an image of the armor of God that they would they would look at this image every morning before they go to school and pray that they would put on the armor of God. They would pray each of those six pieces real quick. God, I pray that I would have these pieces of armor for me as I go into my day. And that there are days when the kids would be late for school and they'd be ready to put their shoes on real quick and the mom would say, did you put on the full armor of God? And kids, oh, come on, mom, I'm late. I got it. Yeah, I got the pieces. No, I don't care how late you are. Go back and put on the full armor of God. This metaphor of saying, I want you to go into your day, into a world that so wants to push you by a powerful current into path number one. I want you to go into that world with the strength that God has given you. Just remember, every day, put on the full armor of God. Now, I'm confident that many of us here in this room, that those six elements of the armor of God, that those haven't sunk in. That you, you probably can't say those six things right now. The six individual pieces of armor. Now if you can, and if that breakdown of six things is, is helpful for you in particular, fantastic. You want to have a poster that breaks the six things down? Great. Fantastic. Great. For me, personally, I think of it more as, as armor in general. Until I pre prepared for this message, I could not have told you the six pieces straight up. So, but I do think a lot about the armor overall, the armor in general, whether I have put on the armor or not. And for me, for me personally, an important breakdown or, or uh, something significant about those six pieces is that some are defensive and some are offense. That there are certainly elements of defense here. We put on the breastplate, the helmet, the shield. But there are also elements that are 
that are of offense, that are to be used for offense, the feet. We move the feet so that we can be ready to move forward or backwards. And the sword, of course, is a weapon. It's a, it's a weapon. Do you remember what Jesus said to uh, Peter when He called him to be the rock? You remember this section of Scripture and He says, He says to everybody, he says, upon this rock, he points to Peter, upon this guy, this rock, I will build my church. Remember what it says after that? And the gates of hell will not stand against it. The gates of hell. See, the gates of hell, they are not weapons of offense from the enemy. It's not the gates of hell that come and attack us. The gates of hell are defense rather than offense and so there's an implication in there that if the enemy needs defense that we have to have some kind of offense at some time the gates of hell that's defensive you don't put a sign around a dog that says beware of gate Ah. there's a time to be on the offense There's a time to be on the offense. That's what we talked about last week. We talked about the the kingdom of God. Path number two calls us at times to intentionally go out of our way to be on the offense. To take care of things that would not have been on 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 our regular path for the regular day. To take care of the poor. To think about that that kid on your block whose parents just got divorced, and he doesn't have a father figure in his life, but you can play a role in that kid's life. To be on the offense in terms of what the enemy is trying to do to destroy hearts. That we have a responsibility with regard to the oppressed, with regard to the unborn, with regard to, uh, once again, with regard to the poor, with regard to those who are Uh, less fortunate we have a responsibility to go on the offense you see what why why does a person put on armor to fight why would a person put armor on say it to fight now I'm gonna ask you to say it one more time but but I know when I go to a church or whatever, I hate it when the speaker says, say this. I don't want to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it just because you told me to say it. I get that. I totally get that. It's weird. It's creepy. But let me just tell you, if I'm going to stand in front of you for 30 minutes wearing this, you can get out of your discomfort for three seconds and say a word that I'm asking you to say. Can we, is that fair? Okay. So why would someone put on armor? Hey, that was awesome. To fight, we don't put on armor so that we can hide somewhere and cower. That's not why you put on armor. Armor is protection while we're in the midst of doing what? Fighting. A couple weeks ago, I talked about a, a guy named Erwin McManus. He is a pastor in uh, California, and he's the guy who did that Doritos commercial. and. He wants to kind of think uniquely, and he wrote a book called The Barbarian Way. And in this book, he, at the very end, he talks about an appreciation for what a group of rhinos is called. You know how different groups of animals are called different things? That, uh, that a, 
a group of, of fish is called a school, that a group of lions is called a pride. You know what a group of locusts is called? A, a swarm is good, a plague. That's pretty interesting based on Old Testament history. A, a group of locusts is called a plague. Pretty fascinating. Uh, a group of baboons, this sounds like a joke, but it's not. You know what a group of baboons is called? Congress. I'm not, I'm not kidding. You can look it up. It's a little, little political nugget there for you. But the, the, the most fascinating one is what a group of rhinos is called. You see, rhinos are, uh, they can, can we put a picture up here just to kind of enjoy this as we're talking about it? They can run 30 miles an hour. 30 miles an hour, this big old beast, second largest uh, uh, animal in the world uh, under the elephant. Uh, this thing can run 30 miles an hour, but it can only see 30 feet in front of it. 30 feet, 30 miles an hour. Kind of put the math together on that one. You would think with that information that a rhino would be a very timid animal, would not want to run because of the uncertainty of what may happen in front of him or her. But because of this incredibly powerful horn in the front, and because of a skin that is a skin of armor, the skin is an inch thick. It ranges from 1.5 centimeters to 5 centimeters throughout the whole body. It's an inch thick, his skin. Because of all that, a rhino runs full steam. A, a group of rhinos will run full steam, 30 miles an hour, only be able, being able to see 30 feet in front of them. That's why a group of rhinos is called a crash. Isn't that awesome? It's called a crash of rhinos. Even a group of rhinos that is just sitting there chewing on plants, it's still referred to as a crash of rhinos because of their potential. Because of what could happen if something startled them and made them want to run aimlessly without being able to see what's going on. Now, what's... what's so fascinating about that with regard to armor and all that is that if we as followers of Christ, again, I'm not assuming everyone here is that, but if you are a follower of Christ, then when we put on the armor of God and we have our horn shield in front of us, we are to run full speed ahead, full speed ahead even if we don't know what exactly lays before us, even if we don't know what the future looks like. And, well, I'm uncertain about that. That's scary. I don't know how that's going to look. What's around the corner? How's God going to take care of me? How's, how's this going to happen? Even if we can only see 30 feet in front of us, we are to move forward with great intensity. McManus refers to as a church as an unstoppable force. At least it has the potential to be an unstoppable force. Now, I know that, that some of you here in the room, you, you, right now, when you're in your journey of life, your unwritten story, you're at a difficult place. And maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a lake, and you're, despite your efforts to paddle as hard and as fast as you can, you look behind you, and the shore doesn't seem to be getting any smaller. And you look in front of you, and the shore doesn't seem to be getting any bigger. It just feels like you're not getting anywhere. 
That's what happens in the middle of the lake. And there can be a temptation in that moment to just set the oar aside and just flow down path number one and just let the current take you wherever the world wants to take you because you're tired, you're exhausted. Path number two, the way of the kingdom will experience resistance. It's not going to be easy. It's not. It's not going to be easy. Why do we put on the full, full armor of God? Why does a person put on armor? One more time. Fight. To fight. To fight. Some of you, I, I know you don't like that language. We talk about fighting for families. And some of you say, I, I don't like that language. There's enough fighting in my family already. Well, you're talking about fighting against people. We're talk, I'm talking about fighting against the powers of this dark world that your family is worth fighting for. Your wife, your spouse, regardless of what you think about that person right now, the first thought that comes to your mind, regardless of that, that person is worth fighting for. Your kids are worth fighting for. Your soul, your character, your reputation, your integrity, your future is worth fighting for. So Paul says, put on the armor and choose path number two. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, I pray a, uh, an anointing on persons in this room who want to choose path number two. God, I know that uh, many in this room have had a, a long time experience with you. And maybe this whole armor of God battle war thing is still just not really a comfortable conversation. It just doesn't feel right in terms of the grace of God, etc. But God, the reality is that there is a war going on. And there is resistance to us choosing path number two. And for folks here in this room who are saying, I want to, in this area of my life, my relationship with my with my spouse, the way I am at work, with a, with a new friend, with my kids. I want to choose the way of the kingdom. The harder way, path number two. And Father, for those here in this room who want to do that in some area of this life, I pray a special anointing here this morning. God, that they would feel your strength and your power, that they would put on the armor every day, being reminded that Christ is with them. In Jesus' name, amen.